We are in uh, Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. Romans 15, starting verse 14. And here's what Paul says to the people and the church in Rome in particular. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus... I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord speaks to us today as a living truth. You may be seated. It was my first ever professional review. I was working as an engineer for a big computer company in a research triangle uh, area, uh, and I had no idea what to expect. In fact, I was a little nervous about what was going to happen in that review. My boss sat me down and walked through a thorough and insightful review, a kind of corporate America review, but a good one nonetheless. And a couple of things surprised me coming out of that review. I, I won't, I'll never forget how much they liked what I had done. <laughs> that was a little bit of a surprise, especially being a rookie, um, a rookie engineer. And I was surprised as well by one of the things they said I needed to improve in. Apparently, the main improvement uh, was around asking for help. Now, that was shocking to me at that time because I felt like every day I was bugging the mess out of all the senior engineers around me asking questions and doing things like that. I thought I was doing enough to ask or too much asking of help. But in fact, the review came back. No, you need to ask for help even more. I found that very constructive and edifying feedback and it really has affected me even decades later in ministry in that I really try to ask for help more. Well, the interesting thing about our text today is the Apostle Paul gives a kind of review. A kind of review of what's going on in the kingdom work around the, the Roman church in the first century. And Paul reviews uh, what's going on in a few simple ways, three ways that we're going to highlight today. First, he reviews the Roman church itself. Second, in a kind of odd way, he reviews himself. <laughs> and third, with respect to the Romans, he reviews the mission that is going forward as a result of God's work among the Romans and even his own work. So let's dive into this text a little bit here in 
Romans chapter 15 on what Paul says first in his review of the Roman church. Look at verse 14 with me. It says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Now, Paul's review of the Roman church is a little surprising to us as Americans. Because if we were to review a church, our first impulse would be to do measurable things. Uh, In fact, today, the common way to review church is the ABCs of church. Um, ABCs would be attendance, buildings, and cash. Now, those measurements have their place, but Paul goes to far bigger, more important things that are true measurements of what is healthy and, and true of a mature church. In fact, he gives specific measures of maturity, three of them in our text. And here's what the first one says, that the Roman church was full of goodness. That is, they reflected God's goodness in the Holy Spirit by doing good and by being good. Uh, And that's an important distinction, is that in our time, we want to be busy doing good, but we never ask the question, are we being good? Kind of the status of our hearts and how we work, the the attitude in which we work with. Well, healthy churches, according to Paul here, are full of good biblical things happening, and not just doing good, but even being good. Uh, in holiness. Well, the second thing they were filled with uh, that he tells us in our text that is a sign of health or maturity is that they were filled with all knowledge. All knowledge means they knew their Bible. They knew some important aspects of theology and truth. But knowledge in the New Testament is way more than that. <laughs> it is a personal knowledge that the people of God in Rome would have with God himself through Christ. So the Romans, if you will, as a healthy, maturing church, was filled with believers who were thinking about biblical truth and theology, but they were also engaging in personal relationship with God, knowing him in a very practical and real way. The third sign of maturity shows up in this text as well uh, regarding the Roman church where Paul says they were able, they were able to instruct. And the word here, uh, nothaneo, comes uh, from the language of admonishing each other. Maturing churches practice discipleship, even to the point of saying hard things. And we live in an age where it's really hard to say hard things. I mean, I, I wish I had a nickel for how many times I've heard in the last few years that something is amazing or somebody is amazing. Amazing seems to be the popular new word today for everything. And you've got to wonder, sometimes, when is something not amazing? And when do we have to address the reality of something in its need? Well, the truth of what Paul says is you know you have good community when believers instruct each other, certainly first with encouragement, as Paul is even doing in our text, but also willing to lean in and say the hard thing with love. So, why does this matter to us, these three marks of this church in Rome, and why, as Paul gives a review of them? Well, we live in an age where the church is seriously, seriously struggling with immaturity. 
being good and doing good seems to be increasingly optional in our time. Knowing the Word of God is at an all-time low. Can you name the Ten Commandments in order? Just a simple test. Can you quote John 3.16? Bible knowledge is an all-time low. But really connected to that is if you're knowing the Word of God, you're also knowing the Lord more deeply. Discipleship, likewise, has been replaced by consumption. Where we come to church very often saying, okay, what's in it for me? Without considering, how am I going to give? How am I going to invest in someone? Where are you in these three? Are you filled with all goodness? Are you filled with all knowledge? Are you instructing one another even? Speaking into each other's lives with a sense of discipleship. That is a measure that goes far beyond the ABCs and gets to the real heart of a church. We at Redeemer want to be a church of good works, uh, actively knowing God's Word and knowing Jesus. We want to be actively discipling. These are the things that disciples of Jesus do as the rhythms of their lives together in church. Paul knows that. And that's why in the next verse... He goes on and says, after saying some encouraging things about what the church was doing, he also says, hey, you've got some issues. In other words, the church was maturing and showing signs of maturity, but still had some immaturities. Look at verse 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. This is Paul's way of saying, hey, you guys still need to grow, though. And, um, in fact, he's written boldly about these things throughout the entire book in areas they needed to change. You know, everything in Romans was written to real people with real issues relative to their walks with Christ, not abstract theology. And as a result, he's really getting at the, their, their basic struggle, as we see in Romans 1 through 15, was this. They struggled remembering the gospel. They struggle remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that had to do with their daily living with one another. Paul, in other words, was addressing, for example, in chapters 1 through 3, that they needed to come back to understanding the depth and breadth of sin. Cheer up your sins worse than you thought. And then in chapter 3 through 5, he talks about the justification that comes through a loving Christ dying on the cross and how we're justified by faith in him alone. No other way, not by our works, not by anything we bring to the table, just by trusting in what he's done for us. God's grace is greater than you could ever dream. And then he goes on in chapter 6 through 8 to talk about what that's got to do with life, that in as much as we are saved from our sin once and for all through the death of Christ, we also have a life to live following Christ as servants of his, seeking to know him in holiness. In chapter 8, the Romans, uh, Paul had to remind the Romans how the Holy Spirit actually is a crucial part of how we live our lives with Christ. Even in pain, we can have hope because the Holy Spirit is within us and he reminds us of the love of God. 
Chapters 9 through 11 talks about how God hasn't forgotten the Jews, who it seemed like he had left them behind, but that God isn't fickle in his love, but is focused in his love, even with the Jews. And then in chapters 12 through 15, Paul tells the Romans how to live in community with each other, which we've talked about for the last few months. Pretty extraordinary stuff. How to live with people very different from each other, Different giftings, different values, even conflicts. That it's possible and even powerful in Christ to live in love with one another. Why did Paul spend 15 chapters writing uh, Christians in the most influential city in the Roman world? Because he wanted them to remember. Why is that? Because Christians, even the most mature ones, forget. They forget that profound truth. You ready? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Remembering is the most basic rhythm of the Christian life. Remembering big truths about what Jesus has done for us personally even among his people. And that is crucial to growing in maturity. Remembering is the rhythm of the mature Christian. Oh yeah, that's what's true and that's what's got to do with right now and how I'm living. What is God reminding you of? How dark your sin can be? How much you are loved and justified? How you need to grow? Maybe how you need to grow in learning how to love other people very different from you. Paul spends this entire book calling believers to grow in grace, to follow Jesus in an extraordinary way. So, the Roman church was maturing, showing all kinds of signs of maturity, but it still had a lot to work in in terms of gospel belief And more maturity. And at this point, after many chapters of Paul bringing up stuff like this, it's very convicting. And as he gets in the Roman church's business, and as he gets in our business, there comes a point where you start to say, who is this guy? I mean, who is the Apostle Paul to be speaking to us? Do you know that Paul at this point had not even visited Rome? He was planning on visiting them. But he was writing from afar. He had never met most of the Roman church, though he knew many of the leaders in the church. And what's interesting about that is, think about that for yourself. What if somebody you didn't really know, maybe you heard about in some vague sense, wrote you a letter and said, I want you to start doing this? What would you say? Who is this guy who's talking to us? He's not even part of our church. Well, Paul knows that. Paul knows that about himself, and that's why in the coming verses, he explains in a review of himself why he has authority to speak to us with the truth of the gospel. Look at this here in verse 15. Uh, Excuse me. Yeah, in verse uh, 15, he says, Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified in the Holy Spirit. 
Paul highlights in this text his authority to speak into their lives. First, he says that he speaks to Christians by grace given to him. We could say that grace is the power of the Holy Spirit in a unique way as an apostle. But you've got to understand that Paul understands that grace in another way, too. That he didn't deserve to be an apostle. I mean, think about this guy for a second. He actually was once a zealous Jewish Pharisee who made it his goal to kill Christians. And if his goal was to kill Christians, how would he be then turned into a Christian who is actually sharing the gospel with the whole world very intentionally? Grace. The grace of God which got into his soul when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and changed everything about his life. And that's the nature of grace. If God's grace gets in your life, it will change everything. He, God leaves no stone unturned in our hearts. You see, Paul's very life and ministry was a trophy of grace that shows that God can change anyone that he wants to and do a great work in their lives. Even when a guy like Paul deserved God's judgment to be cut off and cut down. Second, Paul tells us that the purpose of his ministry was to be a minister, a servant of the gospel, particularly to the Gentiles, just like the priests of the Old Testament would offer the the truth of God's word. And that's what preachers are supposed to do. In his case, in my case, we're supposed to be, as John MacArthur says, a, a waiters, servants of God's word, bringing it to people as was prepared by the chef himself. You've got to wonder at this point, though, why is Paul doing this review of himself? It seems a little self-conscious, doesn't it? Why is he talking about his ministry like this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because in that day, there were super apostles wandering around these churches, even Rome, who were saying, you can't listen to Paul. He suffers too much. He doesn't have an authority. Look at all the pain he's been through. There's no way God's blessing is on him. What Paul was doing was he was responding to skeptics about his ministry and his apostleship speaking for Christ. And guess what, guys? That's happening today in our world. With every cultural movement, Jesus is still so popular in America that every cultural movement will try and bring Jesus into their movement and say, Jesus would bless this movement. And the way they often do that, are you ready for this, is they'll appeal to the Gospels, that is right out of the Bible, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they will ostracize Paul and say, don't listen to Paul, he's different than what Jesus says. The one place that is particularly, where this is particularly happening right now, is in the realm of sexuality. Homosexual movement would say Jesus never said anything against homosexuality. Therefore, he'd be accepting. And look how accepting he is of people. And then they plainly dismiss Paul, who is confused and is, well, you know, he's talking about something different than the Christianity Jesus talked about. Problem with that view is this. The apostles that Jesus called Peter... And all the others considered, as we see in Second Peter in that letter, 
considered Paul's uh, writings as Scripture, authoritative as they were writing as apostles. So they considered him apostle, speaking for Christ. And then you've got the nagging problem of Paul meeting Christ on the road to Damascus and it changing his entire life where Jesus calls him to be an apostle speaking. How do you explain this radically changed life from a murderer of Christians to a converter of Christians? You see, when, when Jesus called Peter and Paul, he called them to speak on his behalf. There is no difference between their message. It is the same in what they're saying. Paul, you see, is really showing us we can trust what he says in the scriptures. And what is Paul's end game in this? Well, he tells us in our text, the end result is that he and the ministry could present the Gentiles as an acceptable offering. What is the end game of me up here preaching the gospel, of you learning the gospel, reading the Bible, all that stuff? It's that you'll grow in Christ-likeness. That we would grow in maturity and not stay as spiritual infants. The trajectory of Christianity is not that we feel better, though that can be an experience of Christianity. No, the real trajectory is towards holiness. Towards God changing us more into his likeness. So Paul has renewed, reminded the Roman church, really, by reviewing them and looking at how they're doing some really cool things and how they need to grow. Now Paul moves to reviewing his own mission. And look at that in verse 17 of our text. In Christ Jesus, then, I have, as Paul says, um, reason to be proud for my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Paul is talking about what he did in his work and mission. And guys, think about what this guy did. He planted churches. He led tons of people to Christ, thousands maybe. He did so much for the kingdom. He healed people. He did some amazing things. And he says, I'm proud of what I've done. But I'm not going to speak about that. I'm going to talk about... Christ and what he's done through me. In other words, he is promoting the ministry of Christ through him, not his own ministry. And what does that ministry look like? In a healthy church, in a healthy ministry with pastors like me, even Christians like you. Well, in, verse, uh, in uh, this verse he gives us in verse 18 and 19, the measures of how he did his ministry. He says it was done by word and deed. Paul spoke. And he not only spoke, he had a life to back it up. He said things and he served. Good maturity in Christ is when you have both word and deed in your life. If you have word without deed, you get hypocrisy and the spiritual know-it-all. If you have deed without word, you can convert people to a church or to a pastor or to a person, but not to Christ. You need both, word and deed, action as well as gospel voice. Second and third things that Paul says is how he did his ministry is he expressed authority with signs and wonders and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does he mean by signs and wonders? What is that? 
Signs and wonders are miracles. And in the Old Testament into the New, God would call certain men to say, Thus saith the Lord with authority, prophets and apostles. And the thing he gave prophets and apostles to uh, authenticate their authority was signs and wonders. That's the purpose of signs and wonders, is when somebody says, Thus saith the Lord, the sign and wonder would authenticate that they actually came from God. What's that got to do with us? Well, we don't do signs and wonders in our day. That was what the apostles and the prophets did. But what we do is we have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to live this Christian life, to do Christian church together, to bind us together in our hearts as we seek to know Christ. Paul knows this. And he comes out and says, hey, I'm proud of what I've done, but I got to tell you, it wasn't me. It was Christ in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, uh, uh, 1 Paul says this. He says, for this, the maturity of the saints and building up the saints, I toil and struggle with all my energy like uh, uh, all, excuse me, it doesn't say all my energy. It says all his energy, that the power of God is it fully at work within me. The Holy Spirit, you see, is a lot like gasoline. It can be gasoline and its power can be unleashed or it can be harnessed in its power. The energy of 10 gallons of gasoline lit with a match all at once can be pretty explosive, you can imagine. And, you know, that's what happened in history with God sometimes is he reveals himself in miracles, extraordinary miracles. You can think of a million people crossing the Red Sea uh, in the time of Moses when Moses led them with walls of water on each side and dry land going through the Red Sea. That's <laughs> that's a, a, a 10 gallons of gasoline being lit in a major way. But the Holy Spirit also works in harnessed ways. Uh, here you can think of the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, each one of you, as you follow Christ, so that you use your spiritual gifts. You use the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control in your life as you're carrying out your work. So that there are sparks when you serve Jesus in what you do. In all of this, the lesson for maturing Christians is that we have to learn how to serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit with word and deed, not in our own power. You know what? God loves us so much as a whole church, as individuals, that He will frustrate our plans. So that we'll come clean with how we are self-reliant. And actually go back to prayer and relying on him and his time in work. Even in the use of our gifts. That is, by the way, a mark of maturity. Is not just using your gifts as God gives them to you. But knowing when to use them as God gives them to you. Paul spent his entire ministry learning how to utilize his gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life.
And the purpose of that is in 19b of our text. It says, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. We don't have a lot of time to go into this because we're going to get into it in chapter 16. But when Paul talks about obedience, he's talking about yielding to Jesus as Lord. And he's not talking about an obedience that comes from merely the law, which all the Jews were busy practicing. It go like this, just tell me what to do, here's the law. No, real Christianity is an obedience that comes from faith. That you follow Christ in a living relationship, in union, communion with him by faith. And he gives you the law to obey once you're in living relationship with him. That is the kind of obedience that Paul was leading the Gentiles to in his ministry. And the interesting thing about obedience for all of us is this. The way we learn obedience is through suffering. Isn't that great? (laughs) Hebrews 5 says this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, learned obedience through what he suffered. In a world that doesn't like suffering and in every way we can avoid it, you need to know that suffering has a purpose in your life as a Christian to lead you to a new kind of obedience and understanding the loving, kind, giving lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. How do you handle this suffering? Well, you preach the gospel to yourself, just like Paul did. You preach the gospel to each other, and you preach the gospel to the world. You bring the gospel to an entire world because you have owned it yourself and you have shared it amongst the brethren. The good news that Christ is Lord and a loving Lord who is walking us through so many events in our lives that we can't count them. And yet we are being called to maturity all the way. You know what the funny thing is about Paul and his ministry? is that at the end of our text, he talks about how he goes to the world to share the gospel and that he's fulfilled his ministry. How can Paul say, I fulfilled my ministry? I mean, really. He went to some key cities, planted churches, shared the gospel, moved to another city, planted other churches. He didn't get everybody in his time. How can he say he fulfilled his ministry to go into the world with the gospel And yet he didn't hit hit every single person. Well, the answer is clear. Maturity means you know your limits in ministry. You do what you're called to do in your life. What has God called you to do? In church, at home, at work. And what can you leave left undone? Trusting that God will fulfill the rest that you cannot get to because you're not enough. The maturity of the Christian and even the church gets us to the point where we can say personally, I can only do so much. I trust in Christ to help mobilize the body of Christ to do the rest in his time. We as a church can only do so much together We trust that Christ can even mobilize other churches to do things that we can't do. 
Maturity is a limit. Understanding our limits of what we can do. But the key to the limit is this. If you are going to say no to things in your ministry or what you do with your life, you can't just say no and stop there. This is the hard part. You have to disciple someone. Real, healthy church, when Christians show up, is when they actually start discipling other Christians. I get weary of hearing the consumption things at times, both in the church abroad, sometimes here. And it's even in my own heart sometimes. And it goes like this. I'm not getting enough out of church. Yeah. Well, church was never your savior. You need to follow Jesus and invest your life in someone. And you'll have more challenges than you ever thought of growth at that point. Discipleship is where you grow by giving your life away. Jesus is calling his church to maturity always. And he loves us so much. He will stand in our way and sometimes really bless us. Other times stand in our way till we come to grips that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. Go and give your life away, Redeemer. Personally and corporately. Stop living in fear and turn to Christ in faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do come to you thankful that you love us so much that you move in our lives to grow us and mature us through every circumstance we face. You have a grand plan. And sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's disappointing. But we pray, Lord, that you would move us beyond this life of consumption to a life of giving ourselves away in all goodness and all knowledge, instructing one another as we disciple. Make us a healthy church, Lord, according to your word, because you're worth it in following. In Christ's name, amen.